is your host, Spencer O'Neill, and welcome back to the Council's Table podcast. On this episode of Council's Table podcast, we continue the discussion with Robert Clark. The episode starts where we left off discussing DUIs. We delve into wet labs, the magic black box, also known as a breathalyzer, field sobriety exercises, and some basic trial strategies. Uh, this episode later turns to a discussion on a federal lawsuit out of the Middle District of Florida. The lawsuit, named Taylor et al. v. Noco, concerns a group of families suing the sheriff of a Florida county, claiming that intelligence-led policing tactics resulted in unconstitutional actions by the named sheriff's office. I tell you now, it sounds very minority report. Thank you for listening. Like and subscribe. Follow the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And now... I present Council's Table. So, <clears throat> have you ever been to a wet lab? Do you know what I'm talking about? The wet, like from FDLE? Uh, kind of. So, yeah, I went to a training once, and it was called a wet lab. And essentially what it was is it was a DUI training, but they had a, a breathalyzer that was there. And it was wet because there was an, a bar, you know, and while you're doing the training you're having alcoholic beverages and when they're done with the training you know they invite everyone to use the breathalyzer to kind of see like well what is 0.08 like what does that feel like because we all have this idea like oh 0.08 and i don't know you may think it's two or three beers or whatever it is but to be honest with you when i was using the thing um it took a lot more to get to 0.08 than i really thought it was going to you're one way you're you're rough yeah a little bit more intoxicated than you think yeah you know? it's a lot of people don't realize how high it is the other part about it is they don't realize how the how your own body works so you can get there you can get there by accident which is basically almost all duis mm-hmm. um, an individual just doesn't understand that his body's not working in that way or her body's not working in the right way that day and it's water content what you ate that day what you didn't eat that day Hydrated at the beach, and you slam some beers, and could, there's a whole there are there are so many factors that go into it. You know, the Widmark is only so useful, which is a formula that you can use to determine your BAC. Um, but for the individuals who I know have done the wet lab, as you described it, yeah, they they're up there, they're up there, and cut. It's, you know, I find for 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 analytical people, they're like. It's tough to get there. Now that they know how high a point oh eight is, I, right. I just had five beers. How am I not at a point oh eight yet? Right. It's um, been an hour. What happened? But then I have other individuals who I encounter. They're like, "Oh, he was three times the legal limit." Well, judge, <laughs> I'll say judge. Yeah. Yeah, judge. You, you did the wet lab. You, you 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 couldn't even blow a point away with that much. So you think this is that you shouldn't be able to find your car at point two oh, let alone get in it and drive away. Right. You know, and when you're getting someone who the machine's saying is that like a point three eight, which I have um, someone right now. Seen it. And they're, 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 oh, this is audacious, and how dare they? It's like, point three eight, judge, he should be dead. Yeah. It, you know, I'm being facetious. Point three eight won't kill you. Most, won't kill most people. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it's up there. I mean. You're, yeah, you're not conscious. Yeah. You're not conscious. And the fact that you're not, you know, if someone's able to complete, you know, <laughs> they don't get stopped for anything except for like a taillight. Right. Right. So either either this guy's liver is the most amazing Avengers style liver <laughs> or 
or, and hear me out, the machine's not tuned correctly because he shouldn't be able to pass the one-leg stand mm -hmm. and the walk and turn with only two, only two issues and have a .38. Well, and then we get to the hard part, right, which is arguing the machine. Um, it's intimidating. The magic black box. It's, it is a, it, it, that's a, it's voodoo. It's voodoo in a box. It's the best way to describe it because we're not allowed to see um, the source code. Right. Um, the basics behind it is that uh, inside this box is a vacuum. Inside the vacuum is a, an emitter that emits um, and then light. It's not ultraviolet. It's um, infrared. Right, it's light. Right, it shoots an infrared laser, and the infrared laser has a receiver on the other side of the vacuum. And as the infrared laser is going through, the, the, uh, the chemical uh, molecules of alcohol are in that vacuum that you've just breathed into it. And the, uh, in the molecule, the things that hold the molecules together will actually absorb that laser that's coming from the infrared emitter. So when the receiver receives a lesser signal or a less intense signal from the receiver than was sent out from the, from the emitter, it knows, it can calculate, is the theory, uh, the density of the blood alcohol content by some numerical calculation. I, um, I, I would say it's essentially looking at the disruption and the light for the particulates in the air. But yeah, that's also, that's that also can't be true, though, because there could be other particulates that aren't alcohol. Yeah, there are several other things that'll set it off. There's a lot of other things that set it off. That's why they have this 20-minute this ob observation requirement. Mm -hmm. um, it's because, you know, if you eat a cheese pizza, um, the same compounds in the dough will set off, will absorb the light. Bread. Because basically, you know, alcohol is basically just liquid bread in a lot of different ways. Distilled the yeast, otherwise. the ferments, the ferments. I don't know if it's the yeast or the ferment, um, but it is uh, the chemical compounds that actually, the bindings that actually hold the molecules together are the exact same. So what is, what should be discriminating from ethanol can pick up anything in the ethanol realm. Okay. Well, there's like 10 different things that are, you know, built off of ethanol. Naturally, eight of those or seven of those shouldn't be in your body to begin with. If they, if they are, you have another problem. Um, but there are things that are so similar that it'll absorb it. So, you know, and you know that's not even getting into if you have anything in your mouth that could be holding alcoholic molecules um, in there. So anybody with a crown, a bridge, uh, dentures, anything like that, food that is just stuck in an abscess or in between your teeth that um, held a molecule, they say, oh, the, the mouth alcohol sensor will get it. It's measuring, it's measuring molecules. Yeah. So unless the slope detector is working perfectly, you may not realize what's actually getting pumped into that container. And then they're going to just rely on the magic of the machine. Um, but it's virtually going to be the same as just writing it on your, on your phone and just holding it up. Because, unfortunately, it, it's fallible. Um, they'd like to keep it as mysterious and dependable as they have convinced people it is. Um, but the reality is that there are a lot of issues with it. It, I mean, it's. I, I try to explain. It's. It's. <laughs> there are very few things 
that you can breathe into, you can give a, a, a an organic sample to, and it can convert it to data. Yeah. I mean, that's still that's 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 still cutting edge technology in yeah. a lot of different ways. So we just haven't really developed on this much more than we already have, um, because the math is also based on averages of six white guys in Chicago who actually created it. Um, they just average their own their own uh, information in order to create the values that the whole program is based on. Now, have you ever gotten into the weeds on <clears throat> you know, fighting the machine not necessarily uh, because of you know, how it works, but you know, is it functioning properly? Is it uh, being upkept properly? Has it been upkept recently? Is the person that's performing the test currently certified? Were they certified at the time? They've been keeping their certification up? Um, it can, as you described it, in the weeds is a really good way of looking at it because the real issue comes into the fact that when it comes down to what was done, they have a substantial compliance rule here. He did enough correctly. And you sit there and go, if this thing's gonna, if the, if, if the whole argument is that thing is this thing is accurate because it's a machine, the human factor, the human element has to do its part as well. So everything from the programmers to the maintenance to the person who has the certification who's actually doing the thing, right? Um, uh, doing administering the test that is, they all have to do it correctly. Uh, you can get forms on all that stuff. Um, yes. I have a whole list of stuff on my F on my uh, DUI that I request from the FDLE. They have a good website. They do. That, it's actually all open. It's. I find stuff that's lacking on it all the time, and they hate. I have my investigator call up and like, "Hey, this isn't listed. Where is it?" And that's usually a big tell to me. Oh, you listed every single one except for the month I need. Right. Okay. All right. Let me now. Now I have. Now I got three hours of going in a rabbit hole to find why you didn't list March 2022. Right. Now I know something's there. Right. Because you didn't list it. Um, and we end up getting it, and usually I say, "Oh, <laughs> had to replace this because yeah. they have the notes on there." You know what I mean? Um, and you do get in the weeds. It's not necessarily good for arguments in front of a jury nothing puts no, their, their eyes are going to glaze over this is boring stuff well no jurors. no this is this is pretrial motions to exclude evidence essentially you'd be surprised how difficult that actually is oh I wouldn't be surprised because of the substantial compliance rule um I, I, I'm saying saying to you you've done these you know as well <laughs> yeah I, w uh, I wouldn't be surprised yeah but what what should be the fact is like oh you're basing this prosecution off of the machine oh he kind of did it right <laughs> what yeah hey, close enough I had, a, I had an individual who, um, Spanish-speaking individual, barely any English, uh, and and there was a, a local and a trooper, and the local was probably still in his FTO phase, field training officer phase, um, but the trooper was helping him with everything from the test straight through um, blowing in the machine, and they couldn't get a Spanish interpreter there. So they were trying to explain how to blow into the machine to this guy, and on the video, you know, they accused him of refusing. And on the video, they're they're explaining you have to blow into it like a balloon because saying it louder and slower is going to help him understand. Well, that's how you understand languages you don't know by saying it lower and louder. Uh, it's science. Un universally understood. Universally understood that that's the way of doing it. Right. But they're sitting there, and I realize this is you know just on on a podcast and on radio. But they're they're looking at him and they're going blow. You have to blow. 
So hopefully that translates. But they're just they're giving little puffs, like how you would blow up a balloon. When in mm-hmm. actuality, in order to actually give a sample, you have to get something called deep air lung. Yeah, it's a deep lung blow. air, rather. It has to be a steady blow. It has to be at least over 1.1 liters of air, which is really small amount, but it's not a... Yeah. <laughs> it is. It has to be a, a sustained blow. Once again, back to the wet lab, um, even using the machine and getting a read on it, uh, I was surprised at, you know, the amount of force and the, the length of that force that you have to use on the machine to get a read. And I can only imagine the person in there that really doesn't want to do it. And then, you know, there's this person telling them essentially what to do and they're blowing into it and they're not getting the read right so you know is that their fault is it the fault of the person that's telling them what to do you know is there a lack of communication somewhere that could be fixed you know, I don't have the answer for that but I just remember blowing into it and being extremely surprised on like the force and the length of the force that had to be used right I mean, if you're in there and you've got COPD, like, you've got no They're chance. Yeah. Yeah, you got no shot. I had a veteran that had the same issue in New York. He had lost basically most of his lungs. I was impressed this dude was alive. Um, but he had lost most of his lungs in a conflict, and they accused him of of refusing. And in the hearing, like, we had, the, you know, we had all the medical documentation being like, oh, yeah, this guy's lung, or portion of a lung that actually works, um can't even produce that much. There's a reason he doesn't live in a two-story house. He would have to rest when he got upstairs. Right. Um, and it's not a refusal. Even in Florida, there's there's a caveat for medical issues behind a refusal. And, well, of course. Um, but then they give you other options. You know, they, they'll offer you blood, although I've never actually seen anybody get blood unless it's blood taken at the hospital after a crash. Uh, they'll often ask for urine, which... You know, it has its own issues. Well, yeah, urine can't get a numerical value associated with it. It's just there or it's it's not. Right, it's presence or it's not. And we actually don't... I've actually got one pending right now for um, DUI drugs about, well, what shows up here? Is it it one nanogram or is it a thousand nanograms? Mm -hmm. And then how many nanograms cause an impairment from this substance? And then how many... Nanograms actually cause impairment from the substance because there is no number. There's no 0.08 for, for drugs. Right. Um, so it's well, what exists here? And if you're they a constant, not, they have not replied. And if you're a, a somewhat constant user, your amount is going to be high, even if you're not under the influence at, at that moment. Sure. And depending on the sensitivity, um, you know what lasts in your body, or what's the impairing substance that lasts in your body, and just because it shows up, does the half life still have its intended impairment? Right. It's symptom, so to speak. And it becomes um, rather sticky because, uh, you know, there's an inherent want to believe that the cop is right, yeah, that their observations are accurate, and they may be parroting what they did see. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean that it's accurate. It doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that what they're witnessing is an impairment from a chemical substance because it could be not necessarily delirium when someone's coming off, but be, what you could be looking at is the lack of a substance. Because they they're 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 not on or they haven't gotten their medication. Yeah, their medication is going to show up in their blood, but they've um, you know they forgot to take it that morning, and then for whatever reason later in the day they're starting to experience the um, debilitating symptom that the medication is designed to stop from happening. Right. And the cops going to interpret that as impairment caused by the chemical. 
So now you're in a double. Yeah. Fortunately, fortunately, there's there are good resources for navigating that. Um, there are different uh, organizations that put together really good CLEs, continuing legal education. One's called Factal. Um, that one's in the Tampa area. I think they call it Blood, Breath, and Tears. It's an annual seminar. I think it was I think it was two or three days. It was really good. And then one I went to recently is called Masters of uh, of DUI. That one was also in the Tampa area. Um, that if, was, I could, if I could stop you for a moment, Factal, the Florida Administration of Criminal Defense Lawyers, just a, a shout out. Way to go! go huh? yeah. Shameless plug, sir. Shameless plug. I'm not in Factal. You're not in Factal? No. Oh. I don't know if I can continue this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not currently in Factal. Um, but I've been to so you know, my entire career. I've been to about probably eight or nine um, DUI, DWI, CLEs. Right. High caliber, you know, intense ones, and that Masters of DUI was phenomenal. It was great. They did. They had some really, really well thought out um, presentations, and um, it just really reminded me that uh, how much you forget about what's going into it, and why checklists are so freaking important. Because you just, I, I, I had, I encountered something. I was like, I haven't thought of that in years. I can't believe I haven't thought of that. That's a really good point. Right. I can't believe that escaped me. Well, there's a reason that the the DUI handbook, which is at a, you know, at, at least the minimum, is, you know, what, five or six hundred pages currently? I mean, it's massive. Is this the one by Lexus, or is this the one, the green one? The green one. So the green one is, is good at, well, I don't want to downsay it, but um, it's not a Bible. No, it's Florida-specific. It, no, no, sure, they're all Florida-specific. But in New York, we had a we have one from a uh, an, an attorney named um, Gersten Sang, and this guy is he's he's possibly the best DWI lawyer I've ever even heard of. Met him several times. He's got a great firm. I have his um I in in my wallet I have uh, his son and his associate who is who I would call if I was in a in a spot. Right. Um. They are. <coughs> oh, pardon me. They are absolutely phenomenal, but he has a Bible, and it's it's written in, in chapters that are about the the situation encountered rather than in any specific order about motions, pretrial motions. Mm-hmm. It's written of um, in the sense of you know, like we sort of said, refusal, like case analysis. No, it, so it's the chapter would be on refusals, and then the subparts are all structured into the encounter your client is explaining. Okay, that's interesting. So client explains. Um, lung issue. So you would go to the refusals, and then you would just actually find, you know, medical issues. And then in medical issues, it would be, you know, lung issues. Okay. So it's actually, di- I don't know if it's digested or it's at least categorized in that way. And it, it is, I still use my New York one to find certain arguments here. Right. Well, Florida. I mean, the, the Florida one is, is great, but I, w- I would describe it as it's topical. Yeah. So it goes by topics. And then most of it is, you know, uh, subsites with cases and then discussions of the cases. You look at a page and three-fourths of it is going to be cases and the discussion below it. And then the, the top part is just going to be really a basic discussion of you know, really the basics of it. It's, it's machete work. Explain. So I, I, I split a lot of the content into what I call machete or scalpel. Okay. Um, 
Are we hacking or are we taking a little piece out? Right. So how ca- how nuanced is this argument? Because this, you know the the smallest nuance might make the biggest difference. Right. Um, so I find that the DUI handbook is really terrific for putting you in the right position, but it's it's more machete than it is scalpel. And um, there's one I just learned of that's actually produced by Lexus. The guy was at Masters of DUI. I don't remember his name at this moment, um, but he produces one. It looks like it was produced by Lexus. That's probably going to be the next one I get because I think that one's going to be a little bit more scalpel um, in the sense of how it is actually applying in that sense rather than here's the basic law behind it. Make your own argument. No, I, the, the, you know, it doesn't make a difference what the what everybody knows. I need to know how it applies here, um, and there. And I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And I also don't want to argue something that's already been decided, right? Uh, adversely, at least. Now, have you ever um, you ever been in a situation where you're using the video to fight the breath test? So that Spanish one. Okay. I was talking about right because. You know, they were if you're doing him to doing it wrong, and then they charge him with a refusal, that's um, one. So, have you ever been in a situation where, like, somebody's doing the FSEs right, and they're doing a phenomenal job? I mean, you're looking at them, and it's like, you know, you're 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 going to get a gold medal in the drunk Olympics, essentially, which is a great line for the trial, by the way. Um, and then you go to the breath test, and it's like, well, you know, they're, they're blowing a point one two. How are they doing that? Well. Obviously, it's got to be something wrong with the machine without having to get into the components of the machine or how it works or whether they have it certified or whether the, the person that's actually using the machine is up to date on their certifications or, or any of that. It's just like, listen, look at this video. This guy is walking the line. He did the nine steps. He did the turn the way that they asked him to. He did the turn to the left, which is not the natural way people would turn because he's following the instructions. Like He's doing all these things. So this is where this is where <laughs> um, this is where you make that cop seem like the smartest man on the planet. You just, you, you did everything right. Mm-hmm. You did everything right. Yes. You administered that perfectly. You just you you turn. You I call it turning it. into the skid. You like if you're it. on ice. I know it's not an, it's not something that people understand in Florida, in, in New York. If you're skidding on ice, it's counterintuitive. But you you steer into the skid. They they understand it. We have uh, dirt racing here. Everybody so, in Florida dirt races? Not everybody in Florida dirt races, but if you're from Florida, <laughs> if you're not a transplant, I think you have a little bit of uh, knowledge of what dirt racing is and how it works, and yeah. <laughs> so the uh, so you, you steer in, and then you say he admitted everything correct and did everything, but the interpretations may be questionable, mm-hmm. but you're a great cop. And did you interpret this right? Then you do everything, and then basically capitalize on the fact that this individual did you know, not only did he do almost everything correct, even if even if they even if they technically quote unquote fail it because they, they got the two cues, he still like for the walk and turn there's like ninety odd things that they can get wrong. Yes. So oh he got an A on this, despite getting two things wrong, which right. he failed him for, he still got an A because ninety eight out of a hundred is still an A in every school in America. <laughs> but now the machine is saying this. Yes. Well you went to you went to this this school. Is that number consistent with that? No, I wouldn't ask it in such broad terms, but you you know you definitely would steer into the skid and show how great those tests actually were and that everything was actually great with them. You don't necessarily have to show how, how bad the tests were. You can rely right. on... Well, that's the day you don't go in and call them exercises anymore. You call them tests. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, these are tests. These are... This is it. 
Yeah, we're not, we're not calling them exercises today, no sir. No, I saw a, uh, a young attorney, the first time I saw that happen, I saw another young attorney do that in Fort Myers, uh, Mr. Thompson. I won't throw his first name out there unless he tells me he wants him to, but uh, went to go witness him do a trial, and he was he was trying a case with a .12. That's what he did. It, body cams were brand new. I mean, brand new. It's 2015, 16, and it was 2016, and they were literally brand new. And he just looked at the video and was like, "This he looks great. I'm just going to say he looked great. He rolled into it, and I was kind of walked him out and everybody was you know very proud of him and since that day you know I've never had a DUI where the first thing I didn't do was actually look at the video on the FSEs and see if that defense It'll was available break it, yeah. if there's video you have to absolutely watch it and I was alluding to that with um, I was alluding to that with the the body cam can't see the eyes mm-hmm. you have to use the dash cam or the other officer's camera and actually to to discern that because you're actually looking at everything else that's going on because they're not going to say everything he did right they're only going to say the things he did wrong so you have to identify everything that the individual did right and that's what the other cameras are super useful for right you get to say really so so you're waving this pen in front of his face he's not stumbling over he's not falling over he's not even swaying he listened to your instructions he did x y and z correctly and yet you still were like there it is yeah okay so, well, and you can leave it where it is, depending on your jury, depending on how well you select your jury. You can leave it as it is, and then you know, leave it for summation. Um, but it definitely, it definitely comes down to the videos in a lot of cases. Another, another one of my favorites is um, in a drug situation where they'll be doing the the HGN, and part of the HGN you also do VGN because you don't just do horizontal, which is horizontal gaze and stagnus. That's the HGN for for those that don't know. Uh, you'll be doing, you know, the VGN, the vertical gaze nystagmus. And the vertical gaze nystagmus is pretty much exclusively for, you know, substance abuse. Not even all substances. Yeah, like not even all. Like won't show it, and yet somehow, somehow they always have it with amphetamines. Right. Well, my, my favorite is when, you know, the person is supposedly under the substance where you would expect the VGN, and there is no VGN, but their horizontal is going crazy. And it's like, oh, okay. Sure yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. You just know you can tick that box, and nobody can say anything about it. They don't. They don't expect a lot of attorneys to know the caveats and the nuances. Because if you can see the eyes, if, if you can see the eyes, it's not hard to get eyes to display HGN. You know, I can just tell you right now. Look as far as you can to the left. Hold it there for five seconds. You will experience a bounce. That's HGN. Uh-huh. And you know, there's an HGN where they hold it at maximum deviation. Maximum deviation doesn't mean, you know, hold it so he can't see it, or the individual can't see it. It has to be at maximum deviation, which means your eyes are pegged to one side. Well, guess what happens if you hold the thing there for longer than two seconds? You're going to look at it. You look at it, but your eyes will naturally go to HGN. You can be right out of bed, haven't had a drink your whole life. Right. You are going to do that, just the way the eyes work. Right. And if you're tired and you've been awake all day, your, your eyes are going to do it quicker. And, it, and it, it's, uh, it's something that a lot of... Enforcement banks on individuals not knowing, um, which sucks. And I, I, I think, unfortunately, because the nature of DUIs are actually a lot more complicated than any other um, misdemeanor. misdemeanor offense. Yeah. Uh, misdemeanor it, murder. It's super, super easy for them to get away with it. 
Yeah, well, there was uh, an attorney that won't be named, but you know, his advertisements were essentially, you know, I I started my practice and you know I I, I did a, a DWI and got into the case and realized that you know you could spend your entire career studying and doing these cases only and still not know everything and he was right yeah he's absolutely right firms are are dedicated to just that not only because it's you know financially a it's a worthwhile issue it's financial but it's so specialized i don't i don't want to call it boutique but it is it's a deep field and if you don't have someone who is able to navigate that you're gonna have a problem right and I would say this. For young attorneys in the public defender's office that are becoming misdemeanor attorneys, you should spend at least half of your time learning about DUIs. Because it is the most complicated thing you'll deal with. You can take yourself to trial on other cases you can try your batteries and you know uh, resisting arrest without violences and, and those sorts of charges and and learn the process as far as the trial on those right but as far as the DUI that's where that's where you're really going to get nuance you're not going to get nuance in a battery where there's no witnesses and you're saying that she's being dishonest or he's being dishonest because they're having some sort of domestic dispute or they're fighting over a kid or yeah. they're fighting over property or whatever it is, right? Um, you know, in their circumstances, a lot of the times, the cops are your friend, you know? You showed up, what was going on? Well, this was going on. Okay, well, what did you learn? You know, you actually use the cop to get evidence for you and because they're not personally invested in it, or even because a lot of the times they'll show up and they don't think that anybody should be arrested, but they're going to make an arrest because they sort of have to separate the people. You know, they'll be they'll be friendly to you and helpful to you. Um, in the DUI, you know, it's all based on what the cops observing. So unless it's a circumstance where you've got the video, and you can kind of use the video against the cop, but not tell them up front and like really play him up like we were discussing earlier I mean you're essentially saying that he's wrong and it's an ego check yeah yeah they don't like that but I try to tell attorneys who aren't in this field there's nothing better than having a cop on the stand there is there is nothing better than um, putting that hubris in check (laughs) I know it sounds twisted um guilty pleasure of mine but it, there is nothing better than putting someone up there and showing you fabricated this you exaggerated this you outright just lied you signed this statement and you lied on it right so don't do it again right this is your public lashing don't do it again right yeah. now should they lose their jobs I think they should um, different firm, different different places will fire them for that I'll be honest with you I don't necessarily agree with that so <clears throat> you know the, the longer I've done this the uh the more I've gotten sympathetic to officers in many aspects and we all make mistakes when you're intentionally doing things to to hurt others yeah there's something to that but if you're negligent or just bad at it 
and you know you're kind of trying to cover your tracks and you get called out on it I think that's a good thing for you I think it's a good thing for growth and realistically like we don't want to fire every cop that we have that makes mistakes or does something that's wrong every time it happens no because we wouldn't have anybody left just the nefarious ones yeah yeah, just the nefarious ones. But then becomes what's what's nefarious. There was a, a public defender I worked for in upstate New York. Just had a great concept behind it. And it's even if even if the client is culpable, you are the last quality control check available. That's what we are. We're quality control. As a criminal as Most a criminal defense attorney, you, you are know, quality zealous control. Zealous representation is an absolute necessity especially under the Sixth Amendment, for every individual. However, what's such a close second is that we are the quality control. Hey, Spencer O'Neill here. Wanted to take a moment to ask you all to please like and subscribe. Uh, The podcast is going to turn now to another topic. We're going to discuss a lawsuit out of the Middle District of Florida, Taylor et al. versus NOCO. Speaking of quality control there is a federal lawsuit that you actually brought to my attention um super super interesting and it's here in florida and you know it's called um i think for short it's taylor versus noco and noco is the the sheriff of a a, you know a county here in florida and essentially what it describes is you know something I, i guess i would call almost minority report ish it's you know it's predictive policing right so you know, briefly i'm going to read sort of from the uh, original complaint and this is uh you know a lawsuit under 1983 it's, it's affirming or it's alleging first fourth and 15th amendment constitutional violations by the sheriff's office and what it says is that this sheriff's office punishes people for their crimes they have not yet committed and may never commit. Punishes people for crimes they have not yet committed and may never commit. It first predicts that certain people may commit future crimes and then harasses these people and their relatives and friends with relentless visits to their homes at all hours of the day, with unwarranted stops and seizures, and with repeated citations for petty code violations. In the words of former deputies, the policy is meant to make their lives miserable until they move or sue. Uh, here, four county residents sue under the first, fourth, and fourteenth amendments to the United States Constitution. Now, it says that the sheriff's office uh, adopted a policy and widespread custom of harassing individuals and their families because it thinks they are likely to commit unspecified future crimes. The sheriff's office refers to this policy and custom as its intelligence-led policing program. And for you know the ease of the complaint, whatever they're going to call it, the program. So under the program, the sheriff's office uses questionable criteria, such as whether one is a bystander in other people's police reports, uh, to complete a list of individuals who it believes are likely to commit crimes in the future. The sheriff's office then subjects these individuals uh, that who are considered targeted persons, as well as their families, to relentless pursuit, arrest, and prosecution to, in the words of the actual elected official sheriff, 
take them out. Uh, so deputies repeatedly make unannounced visits to the homes of targeted persons, uh, during which deputies demand entry to the home or information about a targeted person's comings and goings. While deputies also gather additional information about a targeted person's familial and social networks so that deputies can identify, catalog, track, and visit these individuals as well. Uh, deputies routinely threaten friends and family members who allegedly do not cooperate with deputies enforcing the program. And during visits to listed individuals or their families' homes, deputies initiate pretextual code enforcement actions, actions which have no connection to the original purpose of the visit. Uh, deputies and the sheriff's office routinely ignore requests from the, that these visits stop. And likewise, the sheriff's office deputies typically do not leave when asked by residents to do so. Um, instead, when individuals object to unwarranted visits, uh, this sheriff's office deputies subdue, arrest, and sometimes imprison targeted persons or their family and friends. And then you know, finally it says, but the U.S. Constitution guarantees the right to be secure in one's home and free from arbitrary and suspicionless p police tactics. So, you know, these people's attorneys who work for the, believe, the Institute of Justice. Yeah, that's how I came across it. I think it was yeah. on, on YouTube where you yeah, they find out the Institute of Justice, which, you know, great, great institution. <clears throat> I think... Um, I think the gentleman is out of Miami, Ari Bargill, Bargill maybe. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name, sir. But uh, I came across just a, a brief report of it on YouTube that was uh, put together by IJ. And I was um, infatuated with it for a little bit. I was so surprised about this type of, uh, of policy. It just reminded me of the Chinese social, um, the Chinese social experiment with social credit. Yeah. yeah, people call it Minority Report. I think that's an oversimplification, and you know, obviously, we already have a preconceived notion of the Minority Report that you know the Tom Cruise thriller. But this yeah, is, yeah, this is it's a, a it's a movie, you know, where they'll come in a robot essentially will come into your house. I don't know if it's a robot, but yeah, some sort of algorithm or, or whatever it was. I don't even know. Well, if we had a concept psychic, of an, psychic people or something psychic, like that. Psychic, psychic yeah, people. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it say, oh, you're going to commit a crime, and then they come and arrest you and be like, oh, well, you're going to commit a crime next Thursday, so you're going to jail today, so you don't do it. I, I would actually be more comfortable with that than the version that they have <laughs> created yeah. uh, in Florida with this, because at least <laughs> the theory is that they're not <laughs> wrong and it's not being arbitrary. This is, uh, you know, if I understood it correctly, this is actually brought by the families of the individuals. It is. Um, yeah, I believe there's four or five families. Yeah, so if your name appears by virtue of witness or by virtue of relation <laughs> with an individual who does have a certain score, uh, they target you. And I think on the on one of the videos from IJ about it, um, this guy has uh, just so many ordinance uh, violations, and they're 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 meaningless. Like he had a there's a picture of a weed, a dandelion greater than six inches in a well-mowed lawn and that's what the ordinance is for and a lot of people would think oh that's not all right so they're being hassling about that the problem is in florida there's like a zero tolerance policy for if you don't show up to court yes 
So now he earns himself a criminal citation through an FTA if he didn't show up for his dandelion ticket. And, and, and it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And for those that don't know, an FTA is a failure to appear for court. The thing about it, that when I was reading through it as well, is uh, for the families that entered the suit, it appears as though the majority, if not all of them, are the families of a juvenile that either came of age or is about to come of age, right? So your 15, 16, 17-year-old is out there causing problems, and you know you now have this score where they've decided that they want to force you and your family if possible out of the community right i think the metric is if the community will be better without you or your family in it you are by definition in their category of people to be harassed right and and there's a lot of problems with that obviously but the first problem that stands out to me is you know you're you're designating your community as like a county in this circumstance because it's a sheriff well what about the county that neighbors you what about the state? What about federalism, right? Like, aren't we all a community? So you just don't have to deal with your problems. You can push them off onto someone else. That's, I mean, that's messed up. That's the first part of the short-sightedness that yeah. goes, that's, you know, showing that this is going to be a problem. <laughs> so in Florida, we have a whole state full of transplants, essentially, that come from other places, and they, they come every day. And that we're telling essentially residents of this state that, yeah, well, if you're a problem, then you can just move somewhere else. It's it's telling you if we think you're a problem. Yeah. Or if you're related to a problem. If you're related to a problem. If you are hanging out with a problem um, and, you know, you show up on a police report, then we're going to check you out or, you know, show up at your room at your house and question you about your roommate and where they're at when they're at work or. It's an interesting way of circumventing redlining. Yeah. You know, obviously, policing needs to be localized in a position to be able to respond quickly. But this is—I uh, understand the argument from from the IJ that it's um, not within the bounds of community caretaking. It's not within the bounds of any Fourth Amendment exigency. Like this is—it's uh, bullying. Yeah, yeah, and it's bullying with no care for you know, people's, uh, value, you know, for, uh, the sheriff's office decides that you have no value or that you're a problem in a community. So therefore like the equity in your home doesn't matter to them. Um, you know, your reputation within the community, say you own a business or something. Oh, I just think you actually just kind of reminded me, maybe they should put a takings clause in here. Right. <laughs> taking clause violation. Cause I think someone actually did have to move and they moved back into the County for standing maybe. Um, but, you know, they, if the government's effectively doing that to you, you might have a, a takings clause on there. It's, a, it's insanity. And then <clears throat> the other part of it, which I, I found very interesting, is that <clears throat> this lawsuit came out, and then shortly thereafter, the policy was essentially changed. It still exists, though. It, it still exists, but they changed the name of it, kind of like UFOs or... Now UIEs or whatever the hell they are, uh, you know, it, just so it's harder to search for because essentially some 
some lawyer found out what we call it, so now we're going to call it something else. But they didn't even. It's not even just a policy that like Ironically, just random deputies. Just crap. Yeah, it's not even just a policy. Some some random deputies were enforcing. It's it's they had a whole task force involved in this. Like, they had an entire task force involved in finding a way to force people out of their community. What's truly ironic, uh, and another individual had pointed this out, how, how many times does a, does a client of a public defender be like, say, these cops are constantly targeting me? All the time. Now there's a reality. There's a reality to it here. Right. These are numbers that are calculated for these individuals. So now it's, all right, do I foil that? Do I, do I say, all right, give me his policy number or whatever? you've calculated on on this individual because now we get to scrutinize that and is my local sheriff doing this also i don't know if this is a pilot program or if it just has another name or they're doing it more quietly in other places i know some people that would be very believing of the fact that this was happening to them and that this was occurring in their county as well yeah it takes usual suspects to uh an unconstitutional level yeah uh, anyways, just they did argue it. I think um, very recently. I think there was um, you had brought forward the stipulated uh, facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the stipulated facts is like 123 pages. It's, I think, I think it's quite that, large. Was that March of this I think year? That was in March in 2023. And I think they've made certain arguments on it. Naturally, Pacer charges you for everything you download, and I didn't grab, but, you know, I'm not going to grab everything I can off of it, and I try to get what I can for free because I'm cheap. Yeah, but. no, there was there was uh, quite a bit that was available through Pacer. When I was looking through the, the case, it appeared as though uh, they're in the process of uh, defending themselves against summary judgment. Um, I think most of the summary judgments were, uh, one was granted, and they one of the supplemental complaints was was dismissed. One of the amended complaints right. was was dismissed, but I think there's still four pending that are were denied uh, denied immunity or whatever they were asking for. Yeah, all I know is I can when I see this, I, I think of clients that I have and complaints that they've made, and uh, you know policing tactics that I've heard of. And they may not call it by a name, or they may not have a task force, but it appears to me as though these types of policing practices are are prevalent. So, for people who you know may want to look this up in their own communities that they're defending, uh, the term is ILP, which is intelligence-led policing. Right. Apparently, this comes from a, a college in Virginia. I've been told. There's also other names for it. Um, not only is it the uh, ILP directives, but you have the strategic targeted areas response team, and there's apparently a manual uh, called the STAR manual, so that right. might be something someone wants to foil, as well as the research analysis division directive called the RAD directive. Uh, that's something that might be worth drawing from. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, what I'm seeing here is that the dates uh, <laughs> that when these things were published was 2013, so, like you just said, that there's probably others using it in a certain way, maybe just more inconspicuously. Right. And then if you go through the stipulated facts, when I was reading it earlier, um, it's some of the stipulated facts are that like these policies were discontinued as of like 2021 or 2020. 
you know, essentially when, when the lawsuit was coming, probably when their attorneys sent them cease and desist, you know, the policies were changed. So I don't know if the this sheriff's office is even doing this at this time uh, or if they've just changed its name and, and gone by another. But if you're confident in your policy, it doesn't seem to me that you would be changing the policy once a lawsuit comes unless someone's telling you, like, your legal counsel. Uh, yeah, we're wrong here, and this is a problem. I, I wouldn't be surprised if any elected official in this state hears legal counsel saying, yeah, that's not allowed, and they go, eh. It, it is, uh, it's one of those things that's probably not going to be, what's the expression here, sunshine on it, uh, the way it should get, right. because if there's too much light on this, you can obviously see it's false. And then I think maybe once someone is absolutely harmed by it and wrongfully targeted, that's going to be the first opportunity for them to actually put some sunlight on it. And until then, you know, we have to rely on things like, you know, the ACLU and the IJ. Uh, it's due for justice to actually get this job done. Yeah, well, kudos to them for doing that. That's, that's a heck of a lawsuit. There's a couple different names on it, and there's... I think yeah, the local one was the gentleman I named earlier. Out of Miami. Yeah, but I think there's actually a few other um, attorneys nationwide that are involved in it. And I think there's only three on here, but I think there's more firms or, or at least more participants. Yeah, so from the original complaint from March 10th of 2021, we have Ari Bargel out of Miami. And then there's Joshua House, who's out of uh, Arlington, Virginia. And Robert Johnson, who is out of Ohio. House, House is also barred in California. Yeah. And I, I believe in the, the stipulation of facts. I think there was, I thought there was somebody in New York that was uh, a, a signature. So there's clearly a group of people that are involved. I mean, it's, you know, the Institute of Justice is great. Yeah, I'm not familiar with much of their other stuff. Um only on the only on the broadcasts that they do on YouTube, which are enlightening. Um, and they definitely help with at least um, getting more people aware. Like I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have known about this unless I you know, saw it on the scroll. Right. And meanwhile, uh, you know, you're living in a pretty close proximity to where this is occurring and no clue. I mean, I live in a pretty close proximity to this, and I've never heard of it before. Yeah. And we're three years into the suit. Three years into a suit and nearly ten years into the practice. Yeah. Yeah, it took eight years for someone to file a suit on this, and it took essentially a nationwide you know, uh, civil rights effort. effort to even come up with it, which is wild. And it took people to actually take them seriously when they told them that they were being discriminated against and figuring out that there is a group that's within a close proximity and that, like, that there's a pattern. Who have done nothing wrong, who have collected the data to show there's a pattern. Yes. So kudos to them. I feel for them. Uh, for well, the people that have been discriminated against? Absolutely. Targeted, yeah. Targeted, yeah. I mean, imagine, like, 
working, saving money, having a kid. They're 15, 16, 17 years old, and they do stupid things like 15, 16, 17-year-old kids do. They pay a price. You know, they come back, they're not committing crimes anymore, and you just cannot get the police away from you. And then you find out that not only will they not go away, but their actual intention, the government's actual intention, is to get rid of you. Yeah. This is in the Middle District of Florida? It is. I wonder who the judges are. I don't know who the judge is on this. He's he's probably or she's probably in for an odd <laughs> a couple of odd, an odd experience having to deal with this. That's probably thankless. Yeah, that's probably real thankless. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Absolutely. All right, well, we're gonna wrap it up. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming. Or well, you know, I came to you, but thanks for doing this. I appreciate your time. Hey, no worries. And uh, that was Council's Table, so we'll see you next time. Hello, your host, Spencer O'Neill here. Thank you for listening to Episode 2 of the first season, the initial season of Council's Table podcast. That was our discussion with Robert Clark. I want to thank Rob again for coming out and doing that. Uh, In the future, there have been some suggestions as far as background noise. Uh, Mr. Clark and I tried to enjoy the taping with uh, some scotch and cigars, but in the future we'll, we'll get rid of the background noise and try to take care of that problem. Uh, thank you all again for listening, and you know, check out episode three, which will be coming up shortly. And that was Council's Table. <laughs>